Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Welcome back, listeners. This is Topic 3, the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, Part 2 of Series 4, Treasures of Casey. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. So glad you could join us. Please make sure to listen to Part 1 first. And then after this episode, I hope you will go back and listen to Topics 1 and 2 of this series. Topic 1 was the Western Auto Building, and Topic 2 was the Country Club Plaza. Um, Part 1 of... Topic two is labeled J.C. Nichols. I know that's a little bit confusing, but that's why I switched to calling these topics rather than episodes. All right, recap. Here we go. Mary Atkins dies in 1911 as a very wealthy widow, leaves the city $300,000 to build an art museum. William Rockhill Nelson dies a wealthy business owner in 1915 and leaves $11 to the city to buy works of art but only after his wife and daughter have died. They also leave money in their wills for the building and buying, uh, building of an art museum and buying of art. There we go. So now picking up where we left off. The year is 1926. It's the Roaring Twenties, the Golden Twenties. Prohibition passed in 1920, but under the direction of boss Tom Pendergast, the city is still living a very boozy party life. Y'all know about this because I love this uh, era and I've talked about it a lot. So during the same time, we have the City Beautiful movement, which I've talked about in previous episodes in this series. And now Kansas City has these beautiful tree-lined boulevards and numerous parks and fountains and the beginnings of a very popular and very successful outdoor shopping center at the Country Club Plaza. Now we just need an art museum. And we're almost there. We have, after all is said and done in 1926, we have almost $15 million set aside for an art museum. Real quick, we're going to backtrack. Um, let me tell you about Frank Rozelle. Rosel? I think we decided on Rozelle. Anyways, um, he's very important to our story. Sadly, kind of impossible to find information on him, so I don't have very much for you. He was born in Kentucky in 1857, but he moved to Missouri as a child and he attended MU, uh, that's Missouri University. He then stayed law at the University of Michigan and he moved to Kansas City to practice law after graduating. He opened his own firm, Roselle Vineyards and Boys. He was super active politically served as uh, police commissioner, and was an alderman. He was the Nelson family's personal attorney and lifelong friend to William Nelson. After Ida Nelson's death, Ida was William Nelson's wife, after her death in 1921, he managed her estate alongside her son-in-law, Erwin Cookward. But Roselle died in 1923, and the bulk of his estate went to, quote, the upkeep, 
maintenance, operation, improvement, and construction of the art building erected or to be erected under the provisions of the will of Ida H. Nelson, end quote. I think this is uh, kind of funny. Um, maybe not humorous, but maybe humorous. Like, it's a in-life-so-in-death sort of way because the way that they left their estates reflects their lives. Nelson is a big ideas guy, so he leaves the money for the physical art. Um, and his family supports them, so they leave their money for building somewhere to house the art. But his lawyer is the only one who's like, how is this going to last long term? Let's leave some money for actual operating costs. All right, so that's all that I have on Roselle. Um, back on track. So remember, Nelson specified that the city would not receive all of the money he left until after Ida and Laura died. Laura was his daughter. So at that point, there would be three university trustees assigned to the William Rockhill Nelson estate. Ida died in 21. Laura very unexpectedly died in 26. So now it's 11 years after his death and the trust with these three trustees is finally forming. And the first men elected as trustees were chosen on March 3rd, 1926. Herbert V. Jones, William Volker, whom I think I might have name-dropped before, maybe in the Pendergast Saga ep uh, episodes, and our old friend, J.C. Nichols. Mr. Jones is yet another real estate mogul, so many of them in this series, and he's a tri-state tennis champion. He also served as one of the trustees of the Mary Atkins estate. Volker, another prominent, prominent businessman, owned a picture frame business which morphed into William Volker & Co. Furniture, Sundries, and Art Goods. He was also a reformer and a philanthropist. Definitely going to cover him sometime in the future. And then, of course, JC, y'all remember from our previous episodes. Um, if you haven't listened to those, please do so. So, naturally, the first order of business is money, right? Let's sit down. Let's review all of our financial assets from all of these Nelson family estates. And let's figure out what we have. Working with them is John E. Wilson, who served as a trustee of Laura Kirkwood's estate. They sold uh, Nelson's newspaper for $11 million, and all of that went back into the Nelson Trust. So now we're up to $22 million. Um, the trust was also responsible for managing Nelson's cattle farm that Laura had been running. Um, he specified that it had to stay in operation for 30 years after his death. So switching back to Mary Atkins, her estate has been working towards building the Mary Atkins Museum of Fine Arts for 15 years. What started off as 300000 has now grown to 700000 in this 15 years. It's more than doubled. And they have looked at multiple locations. They've got some blueprints drawn up. Um, they actually looked at the site of Liberty Memorial before the memorial was built. Um, it was built in 1921, and there had been talk of a cultural center on that site for a long time. 
But uh, eventually they decided on Penn Valley. And they got all the plans drawn up, and they were just about to break ground when Mr. Jones, who is a trustee of both the Atkins and the Nelson estate, says, hold up, wait a minute, what are we doing? Let's work together on this. All right, so he talks to all the other trustees, and they're like, hey, yeah, you're right, this is a great idea, let's do that. So they pile their money together, and thus we will have the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. Now, location, location, location. The Nelson Atkins Museum of Art currently resides on the property that formerly housed the Nelson family home, Oak Hall. Yes, that does mean what you think it means. Oak Hall was torn down in order for the museum to be built. This hurts my heart. This, from the few images that we have, was a beautiful, beautiful structure and would totally qualify for the National Register today, but it is gone. Nelson owned 275 acres of land between Bush Creek, 3rd Street, Oak, and 50th, and he designated 20 of these acres for his personal home. He tore down an old farmhouse that was on that side, and he built Oak Hall in 1887. It was an English-style house of yellow limestone, and he named it Oak Hall because the front hall where you first walk in had oak-paneled walls. After Ida died, Lara and Irwin sold their house, Stone House, to a Mr. Dirks in 1922, and they moved into Oak Hall. But here's the kicker. So Laura specified in her will that Irwin could sell it, but if he did so, or if he died, then, quote, two experts should examine all the contents and furnishings of the house to determine which works should be added to the William R. Nelson's collection of fine art. Objects not selected should be sold. Pause. Sold. Sold. She wanted them sold. But there's more. The content should be sold to folks, quote, living more than 250 miles from Kansas City, end quote. Why? Why? Christy says she was just super private, but... Man, to me, this goes way beyond a desire for privacy. This, like, stinks of scandal. But there's not even a whiff of scandal attached to the Nelson family, so I have no idea what is going on here. Uh, just, like I said, this hurts my heart. Anyways. Erwin Cookwood, Lauren's husband, contacts our, our old friend Henry McElroy, the city manager, uh, selected by Pendergast. If you have no idea who I'm talking about, please go back and listen to Pendergast Saga, um, specifically part three. I talk about Henry. He calls him up and he offers Oak Hall and its land to the city, if the city will agree to build the art museum on this site. So on the one hand, this is really poetic, right? The, the family that left all these funds to the city for an art museum, that this was their passion, then now the art museum will be built at their estate. It's beautiful. But on the other, why did you tear down the building? You could have left the house up. Okay. You could have sold all the all the stuff inside, which still hurts. But you could have left the building up and just refurbished it and added onto it or something. But no, you had to tear it down. And I just cannot let this go. 
Okay. So the city's like, oh, yes, we like this idea. Thank you. They take possession of Oak Hall in January of 1927, and then Irwin died August 27, 1927, in Sarasota Springs, New York. One of the, quote, experts chosen to review the house is R.A. Holland, the director of the Kansas City Art Institute. Now, Nichols, Herbert Jones, Holland, and Laura's estate trustees are going through the house, and they selected four oil paintings to join the Nelson collection. And the walls, ceiling, and furniture of the front hall. That's all that was saved. Uh, eventually, once the museum is constructed, the front hall was reconstructed in memory of the Nelson family. Uh, but it was later dismantled in 1988. Wolferman notes in her book that the staff promised the room would be reinstalled again. I'm not sure how to phrase that. Um, it's like put back together again, but it's not happened in the 30 years since it was removed. Okay. Anyways, um, I know I've been jumping around a little bit. I've been trying to sort of build it. There's a lot of moving parts right here in the mid to late 20s. So in July 27, um, this is just before Kirkwood dies, uh, Downing, a Mr. Downing, who is a member of the Atkins estate, had selected White and White to construct the museum. Um, and they were the firm that had been chosen to design the Atkins Museum of Fine Art before the estates were combined. So they were... They were like, okay, we liked your plans. Please come back and join us now that we have collated our funds and are working together. White and White. Um, they are a pair of brothers from Nova Scotia. Thomas White was born September 17th, 1874. And William White was born January 22nd, 1882 to Robert and Emmeline White. Also, I feel like I should just say this is W.I. G-H-T is how you spell their last name. Okay, so these two studied architecture in Canada, and then they moved to the U.S. Thomas immigrated to America in 1891 at 17, and he joined McKim, Mead, and White. That's the traditional W-H-I-T-E, White, um, was an architectural firm in New York. And then William joined his brother there in 1900 when he was 18. Thomas quit that firm and moved to Kansas City in 1904, opening his own architectural firm with Edward T. Wilder. In 1910, William then joined Wilder and White, and a year later he bought Wilder's half of the company, and so they became White and White. They're responsible for several of the buildings in Kansas City, including, quote, the Kansas City Life Insurance Company, the Mercy and St. James, uh, sorry, St. Joseph Hospitals, the Wyandotte County Courthouse, the Pickwick Hotel, the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, obviously, and the Kansas City, uh, Missouri City Hall, the Thomas Swope Memorial in Swope Park, Southeast High School, Jackson County Courthouse, Police Headquarters, and the Clay County Courthouse in Liberty, Missouri. So there you go. That's probably only a fraction of all the stuff that they did. 
And like I said, because they had already designed at the Atkins Museum, they were brought back on to do the Atkins, uh, the Nelson Atkins Museum. And they only had to make a few changes. So while they had studied other museums for inspiration, they most closely designed um, the, our museum after the Cleveland Museum of Art, which had been built in the neoclassical style in Kirkwood, who had spoken to them just before he died, was like, yes, I like this, do that. Uh, his one request was that it be built in Indiana limestone. Also involved in the design of the structure was Charles Keck. He was born on September 9th, 1875. Most sources that I looked at said he was born in New York, but findagrave.com cited that he was actually born in Hessen, Germany. So longtime listeners will know that I really trust Find a Grave. It's very accurate. Um, I don't know what the discrepancy here is, because that is the only source that said he was born in Germany. Um, I'm not sure if it's that he spent most of his life in New York, and that's where he worked from, and so biographers are like, oh yeah, he was just born there. I don't know what it is, but the Archives of American Art by the Smithsonian, and y'all should know that the Smithsonian is a premier American history institution, so it is also extremely reliable. They also say that he was born in New York, so I'm, I'm just really torn here. Anyways, you, you probably don't care about this debate, but I don't know, it kind of interests me when you have conflicting information. Anyways, anyways, anyways. So, he lived in New York. He was a super famous sculptor. For the Nelson Atkins Museum, he crafted 23 bronze panels that, quote, depict the history of the country, end quote. Some of his other famous works include the Andrew Jackson statue in Kansas City, the Abraham Lincoln statue in Indiana, the Booker T. Washington statue in Alabama, and a statue of Lewis and Clark in Virginia, um, not to mention multiple, numerous other monuments and reliefs across the U.S. He even has a few works down in South America. He died in New York on April 23rd, 1951. Okay, so as I said, this building is neoclassical architecture. This style arose in the 1800s and maintained popularity into the early 1900s. According to my sources, neoclassical gained popularity, popularity in opposition to the popular Rococo style in the mid-1700s. Um, sorry, mid So Rococo is extremely beautiful, um, but it's also kind of over the top. Neoclassical was seen as simpler while still evoking the feel of intellectual greatness associated with classical architecture. Elements of this style include grand scale, simple geometric forms, dramatic columns, Doric Greek or Roman detailing, and domed or flat roofs, depending on the style. This is opposed to the Greek Revival style, which was also popular in the first half of the 1800s. But Greek Revival focused specifically on 5th century BCE Greek architecture. 
So one other thing I have to mention um, is that white and white in one of their designs, they had um, a mirror lake next to the museum, which would have been 400 by 1300 feet. Uh, would have been south of the museum where the grass field is today. And we do have a large water feature on the north side of the building, but that came a lot later. Um, and it's much, much smaller than this proposed lake. So Christy included an image of the concept drawing in her book, and it just looks fantastic. This would have been a phenomenal addition. But there would have been too many expenses associated with the proposal, so it was dropped. All right, all of this comes together in spring of 1928 when Oak Hall is raised. And then finally, 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 July 30th, um, sorry, July 1930, they break ground. The Long Construction Company was selected to do the actual building. Founded by John C. Long in 1906, his company also built St. Luke's Hospital, the Pickering Building, and the headquarters for the American Hereford Cattle Breeding Association. Again, if you've listened to the Pendergast episode, you know that he was super into construction and nothing got done without him being involved. So my thought is Tom probably received a kickback from Long for the building of the art museum, but Christy never mentions it in her book. I even asked her about it directly, and she said she had no idea. She never found any evidence of such. The firm Hare and Hare, that's H-A-R-E, kind of like the rabbit hair. Anyways, they were selected to design and construct the landscaping. So they were founded in 1910 by father and son, Sidney, a.k.a. Sid J. Hare, and S. Herbert Hare. Sid had worked for George Kessler, talked about him during the Country Club Plaza episodes. He's a big name, like number one name during the City Beautiful movement. Sid had actually worked with him on the plaza. Quote, Hare and Hare proposed a $125,000 project of walkways and stone walls that conformed to the natural topography together with planted shrubs and flowers to give color and seasonal variety. They also decided to match the native grove of pine oak, scarlet oak, hackberry, sugar maple, red maple, sweet gum, beech, and birch trees on the west side of the grounds with a similar grove on the east. End quote. The exterior was completed in 1932, and finally in December of 1933, the Nelson Gallery of Fine Art and the Atkins Museum of Art opened to the public. White and White's design were estimated at $2.6 million, and they completed the project at $2.75 million. Honestly, I'm super impressed that they were able to, one, guess the cost so closely, and then two, actually keep with that cost. That will end our story for the day. Um, I'm sorry this is taking so long. I didn't think that the buildup would quite take quite so long, but um, there was really just a lot to bring in there. So we will continue this in parts three and likely part four. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. 
My main source is the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art at History by Christy Wolferman. It was originally published in the um, early 90s, there we go, in 93, and then her second edition was published in 2020. That's the one that I'm using. It is beautiful. It's a really good read. Y'all should check it out. Um, additionally, my interview with Christy is now available for my Patreon listeners. Other sources include PendergastKC.org, the Missouri Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, KCHistory.org, and the Kansapedia by the Kansas State Historical Society. For merchandise, please visit Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. I'm Homegrown KC on all of those. You can also visit my website for additional information on each topic, homegrownkc.wordpress.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find my email on my website, or you can just message me on Facebook. I hope you'll check me out on Audia. It's an audio-based platform. Um, create a free profile using the code 0, capital E, capital F, capital Y, 1, capital A. Then subscribe to the show. Or you can check us out on the new Audia podcast app. I hope you will consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can do so by subscribing to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. You'll be charged on the first day that you sign up and then the first of every month afterwards. It's only $5 a month. Y'all spend more than that on coffee. Everything that you give goes back into the show. Supporters will receive an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less. And a shout out on the show, so thank you for your continued support, Bjorn. Appreciate it. And you get exclusive access to bonus content, which is what y'all are probably really after, and I don't blame you. So I have 10 patron-exclusive episodes currently available. Number 10 is this interview with Christy Wolferman, who is an expert on all things Nelson Atkins Museum of History, um, Museum of Art History. Thank you goes out to my very talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, who created my logo, to the Dear Misses for the use of their song Kansas City as the intro and outro music of the show, and local libraries, which enabled me to gather all my research. Thanks for listening. Seem to get you off my mind. Battle of my nerves.